Three minutes are done. So, all right, well, hope you enjoyed your guys' conversations talking about Alice and the Giraffe. Dude, trust me, there's only two people here on the week, and it's me and it's Allison, and all she does, she doesn't help me anymore. She just watches the giraffe. So it's April, right? Did April have a baby? No. And we're... You're live streaming. Great. That's awesome. We'll find out. All right. Well, welcome to Arbor. We talk about more than giraffes. We uh, try to talk about life, try to talk about things that are real. Uh, One of the things we're going to be talking about today is pain. Uh, That is, uh, we started this series last week. It was pretty intense, uh, pretty tough, definitely for me to give. That sermon was a tough one. Uh, But today we're going to do part two. So last week we talked about the realities of pain. This week, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about um, how do we respond to pain. So we all feel it, we all experience it, but how do we respond to it? Before I do that, though, I'd like to do this. Can we take a second and just ask that God would be present with us in this place before we begin um, and just invite him here? And so, Lord, I, I, I truly know you're already here. So I guess what, I just, what we want to do is we just want to say welcome And we want to say that you are the guest of honor here. May your Holy Spirit rest in this place and with us and every individual, with me as I speak, with every um, word that comes out of my mouth and uh, and with every person here in in our hearts as we try to respond and figure out how we should respond to the very difficult topic of pain. You know pain and you know us. And so, Lord, we are honored that you're here today. In your name, amen. Amen. All right, well, if you weren't here last week, what I'd like to do is bring you up to speed quickly on a little, little review on what happened, just really quick. Um, we talked about the realities of pain, and we talked about the fact that pain is a promise, that hurt happens, it's not just probable, it's inevitable. Every single one of us at some point, if we haven't already, will experience pain. Some of us, great levels of pain, um, but all levels are hurtful. All levels are painful. It is pain. And so some pain um, uh, comes and goes, but some pain is permanent. You don't heal from it, you adjust from it in this lifetime. Eventually, we will all, because of faith in Christ and because of what he's done for us, will be healed of pain, completely healed. But unfortunately, some of us, that pain is permanent on this planet. And then we talked about the fact that no pain is ignored. That God hears us. In fact, in Psalm 22, here's what it says. It says, for he, and he's speaking about God, has not ignored or belittled the sufferings of the needy, and the suffering of the needy, that is us, anybody who is in pain. He has not turned his back on them, but has listened. He's heard, he's heeded, he's understood their cries, which at the same thing are our cries for help. And so the problem we have when it comes to pain is that um, sometimes we just don't hear back from God. You know, sometimes he's silent. Sometimes he chooses not to talk. And what we said last week was that his silence does not equate to his absence. His silence does not equate to his absence. God is not absent. He's not apathetic. And he's not angry at us. And we know this by the example of John. So John the Baptist was a guy we talked about again last week that Jesus loved and that um, he, uh, he didn't save John from his current circumstances, the painful situations that he was in, but yet he loved him dearly. He loved him dearly. He allowed his pain to remain, and it is the same with us until eternity. Some of us will carry pain, most of us will carry pain all the way up to the doorstep of heaven. And so here's the question. What do we do until then? 
That'll be a really cool day. I'm excited for it. I look forward to it. But we got a lot of time. Some of us have a lot of time. Some of us had less than others. I'm getting older. You know, at some point in time, what, what do we do with the pain? How do we handle it? How do we respond to the pain that we have? And here's the bigger, bigger question. Is there even a purpose? Is there even a point to the pain that we walk through? And so today, I want to give you a quick little roadmap of where we're going to go, and then we'll go through it. The roadmap is this. I want to talk about some typical responses. These are regular responses. These are our natural knee-jerk reaction, and if we're not careful, we could get stuck in these type of responses. The other thing we're going to do is I'm going to take some time. And I'm going to have my wife come up and join me as we share with you, we, with you how we responded to our situation and the pain that we walked through. And so if you're new and you're coming here for the first time, our story is simply this, is that we had a daughter um, uh, who was three. Her name was Magnolia. She died of brain cancer. It's been very painful. It was really just a year and a half ago, so it was not that long ago. This is still recent to us and how we are how we did respond, and how we are responding even now. Uh, and then what I want to do is I want to open God's word, and I want to look at some scripture. I want to look at how Paul responded, because Paul, I'm actually blown away as I went through this passage this week at what Paul did and how he responded to pain. It's pretty impressive. And so um, that's what we're going to do. That's the roadmap. Unfortunately, I'm going to leave a part out. Last week, and even into the promo of this, I talked about the idea that we would, um, I would share a little bit about how, how we walk others through pain. And to be honest, as I was in prep and as I was going through this, I just realized that um, we don't have the time and the space to do that in the services that we have. I would have bumped it up another day in the series to talk about that, except we've got Easter there, so we're, we can't do that. And so I promise you, we will talk about how do we help others when they're in pain at a later time. Um, again, we're only nine weeks into this thing, into this church experience, and so uh, we've got a lot of time to figure this out, but I promise you we'll get to that. But in the meantime, I apologize. So, well, thanks. Thanks. I'm glad you love me, David. All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about typical responses, and for that, I'm going to need a volunteer. You don't need to raise your hand because I've already self-selected or picked this person. Um, I asked them to be ready for anything. I'm looking for him. I don't see him. Where is he? Oh, there he is. Come on up, Lauren. Yes. Now, if you don't know who Lauren is, I've talked about him a handful of times. He is the most attractive man in the room. Um, and so uh, he's probably the most attractive man in the Northwest, but, um, but we're not going to go there. Maybe even the world. You can stand up here. So here's the deal. I, when we talked, I have not, you know, zero idea about what we're going to do right now, right? Correct. Okay, that's good. All right, so he has no clue what's going to happen. And um, I asked him, or Allison technically asked him, would you be willing to do whatever Jake um, asks you to do? And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm literally going to ask you to stand there and, yeah, just stand there. Maybe turn just like this a little bit. And we're going to do a little psychological experiment right now. So this is a water noodle. <laughs> and we are, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Whoa! And we're doing a series on pain, is what we're doing. And so, my request was that you would stand there. <laughs> okay. I have a question for you first. Did that hurt? Not really. Oh, really? <laughs> that, you did not experience pain? <laughs> oh. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right, good, good. That is awesome. So, exactly. Here was the experiment, all right? And you don't even know what it was. <laughs> so, here's the experiment. I wanted to see how you would react and you didn't disappoint, all right? <laughs> Typical reactions, are you ready for this? Fight, flee, or freeze. I loved your reaction. You fought. Now, I'm glad you didn't beat me up because I know you can. It would be embarrassing for you. It would be embarrassing. It would be more embarrassing if I actually won, you know, <laughs> for you. So, but dude, thank you so much. Okay, and we'll, we'll talk about that. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. All I wanted to do was hit that beautiful face, see if I could damage it in some way to feel better about myself. So <clears throat> let me explain that a little bit. There are three type of reactions. Um, that was the one I expected from, uh, from Lauren, that he would fight back, that he would absolutely fight back. Now, here's the deal on all these reactions is that they are helpful. All of them are helpful to evade a threat, to take care of a situation. In that situation, Lauren, even before I swung at him, was already ready to defend himself. Anytime pain, whether he says it hurts or not, um, anytime we experience pain, it is like we want to stop it. We want to, we got to do something about it. And so what he did is he fought. Now, initially it helps you to, you know, to take action, to do something, but it's helpful to defend yourself, to protect your family, things of that nature. But if we stay in that type of response, if we get stuck, it can be destructive because it leads to things like anger or rage or violence, Lauren. So <laughs> violence. And on a serious level, because this is just an experiment, it literally can go to areas of abuse and things of that nature when anger and fight gets out of control. Because I've got to do something. I've got to respond. I'm angry at something because of the pain that I've experienced. So I'm going to hit. I'm going to punch. I'm going to scratch my way to get this to go away. The other one is flee. And flee is simply if Lauren would have just walked off the stage, that would have been another way to respond. And it's helpful to avoid those situations, to kind of escape, because what that ends up doing is that ends up leaving the threat. You leave that threat. You go away from that threat. And Lauren could have done that. He didn't do that. But if you get stuck, because there's a lot of people, when pain comes, their choice, their desire is to escape. I want to get away from this. I want to disappear. And so that ends up, if you get stuck there, ends up in things like addictions, numbing, self-harm, workaholism, promiscuity, uh, being emotionally unavailable or detached from the people that you are around. And so it can be a negative thing if you jump into that or you stick in with that for a period of time. Now, the other one is very interesting because it is a fight, flee, or freeze we did this in both services. I didn't tell either of them. John in the back, um, who's standing by the cross, at the foot of the cross, um, I did it to him, and I was shocked by his response because he just stood there and took it over and over, and I kept hitting him thinking, when are you going to defend yourself? When are you going to leave? And he did not, and all of a sudden his face is getting red, and I'm starting to feel bad, and people are feeling bad for him, you know, kind of a thing. So he froze. Now, I thought there's not a positive situation for that. That can't be a positive response when it comes to dealing with a threat, but truly it is. 
if you think about nature, right, and you think about certain animals, for example, like a mouse that's being chased by a cat, all of a sudden, what does it end up doing? It plays dead. It stops. It freezes. You see this? I think it's called the possum response. And you play dead, and the animal will lose interest, the threading animal, and then leave. And it's the same thing. It's like that, that thing can be used as a positive. Now, to stay in that position will lead to isolation, will lead to loneliness, and could potentially lead even into depression. And so any of these things, they're great initial responses. It gets us moving. They have their, their positives, but at the same time, if you get stuck in those things, which a lot of people do, stuck in substance abuse, stuck in um, just escaping or running away or always angry and fighting, it can be negative and it can be destructive and even cause more pain than the pain you're reacting to. And so those are our typical responses. And I'll be honest with you, a handful of those were the responses that I had that happened with me, happened with my family as we walked through what we did. And so what I want to do is I want to... um, I want to talk about how we responded when it came to the loss of our daughter. And uh, to let you know, this is, um, uh, you know, I'm not saying that we did it all right. You know, we didn't, we didn't do it all the right way. We made lots of mistakes, and it was very, very hard. But I want to share with you how we responded. And in order to share, I'd like to actually invite my wife to come up because it wasn't just me. She walked through this process as well. And so she is, um, she is coming now, and she's super thrilled to hold a microphone. And so... I'm going to grab that for her, and we'll just sit up here, and we're literally just going to try to have, if you will, a conversation about kind of what we walked through, and again, when it came to um, our daughter and the pain that we felt and how we responded. So, how you doing? (laughs) I don't love speaking in a microphone, but I love you guys, and I love Arbor Church, so here I am. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see how this goes at 5 o'clock tonight when I hear about it. Um, so, so um, again, this is how we responded. And we kind of went through and we talked actually even yesterday. We kind of finished up chatting about these things. And we kind of came up with a few things that we did and how we responded that we felt were helpful. Again, not everything that we did responded for helpful. We are, we are not perfect people. Um, we're just holding the microphone, sharing our part of the story. And so uh, one of the things we did, and I've talked about it before in the very beginning, is um, we chose to trust. When it, came to, um, when it came to what we were walking through, we uh, got the diagnosis about Maggie's um, uh, cancer. And on the way home, we had a conversation. Do we blame God for what's going on? Or do we choose to trust him? And I would say the word in there that's key is choose. It was a choice. We had to make a conscious decision, and it wasn't an easy decision. It wasn't like a a knee-jerk reaction. Of course I'm going to trust. I'm a pastor. That's what I do. Um, No, we had to choose to trust. And so we talked about that, um, and it was very hard to choose. And and you were talking a little bit about how that was for you. Yeah, I, of the three um, water noodle responses, I tended towards frozen in the beginning, um, that diagnosis day, just the words coming out of the doctor's mouth just kind of hung in the air, and it just was absolutely unreal, and I think I just kind of withdrew and got quiet and contemplative and, I don't know, believing it and not believing it all at the same time, but by the time we got through the end of that first really long day and made it home um, with some friends and family, we had a prayer time in our living room and sitting around the coffee table 
um, I was 100% with Jake as he was praying, God, we, we place our daughter in your hands. Um, thy will be done. And that's something you'd never think you'd have to say with the life of one of your kids, really. But yet, I knew if anyone's trustworthy, he is. I, I'm so assured of how much he loves me, how he loves Maggie even more than we do as her parents, and of his faithfulness to us and his promises to us. Um, Emmanuel became one of my key words from diagnosis day through the day she passed away, even now a year and a half later, um, just God's promise to be with us. Isaiah 43, 2 says, when you go through deep waters, I will be with you. And if that's not someone you can trust in, who is? I mean, it, with Maggie's diagnosis, it wasn't the doctors that were going to do anything that we could trust in for delivering her, but Jesus could, and that was everything we needed. Yeah, and again, it was not, that is probably the hardest prayer I've ever prayed in my entire lifetime, um, was thy will be done in that situation. Because uh, I had what I wanted, and I really, really wanted it. I really wanted her to be okay, and to be with us. So that was a difficult prayer, and my wife has been living that out um, day by day um, since that point. One of the other things we did, and this was a, uh, kind of stumbled onto this, but then our counselor uh, told us that this was a, a positive thing, is we kept moving. Um, we kept moving with what we were walking through, and I mean, I, I mean by we kept moving uh, like we got out of bed. You had to choose to get out of bed. You had to choose to brush your teeth. You had to uh, focus on eating. Um, people actually would, you know, <laughs> remind us that we had to eat. Uh, we had very close people around us at the time that we allowed to come on in and, and take care and be with us and, um, and care for us at that time. And so we tried to be intentional with the choices and the moves that we made. And one of them was we actually did go to counseling. That was a big deal. Um, uh, we've been in counseling since then. Um, I'd never been in counseling before, but now I think it's one of the greatest things on the planet to be able to go and to, to talk and to, um, to share with what's going on. My wife, actually, um, she says next to date night, that's her favorite thing to do. Um, so deep and meaningful. Right, because I get to talk about my feelings, and that's awesome. So, um, <laughs> and, dude, my counselor, every time we go there, who does he have a problem with? It's always my fault, always. One time, it was all her sometimes. fault, and I was like, this is awesome. This is how you feel every week. You know, it's crazy. <laughs> so, but yes, it has been so helpful. But what about you? So like what, um, I mean, I know, but why don't you share with what we talked about last night on um, what helped you to keep moving things that you did, you know, if, if we're in pain, how was that? Yeah, my, um, <clears throat> one of my most overwhelming moments was um, the day after she died, we had a lot of advance notice, nine months of notice to prepare as much as we could for something so impossible and get our heads and hearts around it as much as you can. And so we had put a lot of thought and prayer and preparation into how we wanted to be intentional about that day, <laughs> as impossible as that is. Um, but something I hadn't actually thought through ahead of time was the next day, getting in the shower that morning and um, realizing that I was washing off the last time I had kissed her face or the last time I had held her hands or touched her hair. And um, 
just how that was so overwhelming to me right then and just sickening my one of my main grief responses is to just feel sick to my stomach and like adrenaline through my veins almost and so it was a full body experience and Jake was outside the shower door holding my hand over the door of the shower and just taking a few breaths together and um so then you just get dressed for the day and you go downstairs and have breakfast and you know with the practical kind of one foot in front of the other things um I love worship music so that was one of the really concrete things that would anchor me every day I had a long list of beautiful powerful worship songs that acknowledged the pain of how how some of our situations can feel but also God's faithfulness and how much he loves us and that meant so much to me um and other things, of course, like journaling and framing powerful Bible verses all around our house and reaching out to friends and, you know, all those little things don't do anything about the big picture of the pain and what that feels like, but they help you put one foot in front of the other, I think. Right, yeah. And I think that's the hardest part, putting one foot in front of the other and just, what am I going to do next? And not getting frozen like John, you know, when... It, <laughs> He, he was being respectful to you. <laughs> <laughs> he was doing what you said. He did. He did it well. So <laughs> I think the other thing, last night we were talking at Panera as we were sitting trying to figure this out and uh, what we would talk about, and we were trying to figure out how do we phrase the last thing or this, this other response that we had, and um, I could not figure it out, and then my wife came up with this phrase um, uh, that what we do now and how we respond after the fact and even every day, um, it's, it's all throughout the day, is we do what she said, we grieve with hope. We grieve with hope. We still grieve, and, but we have hope in the process. We have hope um, in the place of heaven, and there's a lot to look forward to, and there's a lot of beautiful things that are still around us even right now, um, like our other kids and each other and um, all the beauty that God provides, and we don't want to miss any of that, but at the same time, we're still in the middle of grieving, and we'll probably be in the middle of grieving for the rest of our life, and so maybe talk a little bit how you respond to that. Yeah, the grief is so real, but the hope is so interwoven with it. So I end up using the word bittersweet often when I'm talking about things relating to Maggie, like, for example, when her birthday comes up, August 21st, what a sweet day that is, being so grateful for her life and everything that she represented to us and the chance to have been her parents. And um, But then what a bitter day it is that we're celebrating her birthday in her absence. And so it's like 100% bitter and a hundred percent sweet at the same time and those are such dueling emotions that I don't think I had really realized could go together previously in my life until going through a situation like this and I think there's a lot of things where both of those elements are there um our counselor Scott that we love talked about um giving us the permission to have the Maggie memories that Paisley brings up be a happy thing or a sad thing so it's not always just a downer that lowers everyone's emotional state, but that it can also just be a sweet and silly thing. So for example, for Paisley, if it's, if I have um, soft music on, or if she looks at our digital photo frame that scrolls through pictures of Maggie, she'll have some tears go down her face and get really quiet and we'll 
hug or cry or pray together or just say how angry we are about it. Aren't we so mad that Maggie's not here anymore? And um, But then also we'll go out for shave ice or something and Paisley will talk about how Maggie would have just loved this and what flavor would she have picked today and, you know, would we be wearing matching sandals today or, you know, just sweet, silly things too. Yeah. So it's like the challenge is being present and open with all of it. Um, and Emmanuel, again, just God feeling so near in the sickening, heavy moments that come crashing over you without notice, but then also feeling his promises and the true hope in heaven, almost like glimpses of heaven around us because of him being with us in that side of our grief and pain too. Yeah, it's so bittersweet. It is. It's the same thing. I mean, you think about things like um, uh, Paisley can remember memories of Maggie and still talk about the things that we used to do, but Percy never will, you know, but we look forward to the hope because Percy will meet her at some point and sometime and yeah, it's, it's difficult. For me, the way I process it now is um, I, she calls it bittersweet. I call it breathing it in and breathing it out is how I would express it. Because um, I don't want to and we don't want to, um, we don't want to just block out the pain. Does that make sense? And here's why we don't want to block out that pain. Is it is tied to the love of our daughter. Because you, you, don't, you don't experience pain unless you truly love, right? And so um, I don't want to just block it out and just say, get hard-hearted, because at that point, I'm just pushing away the memories, because every time her memory comes, it makes me, it, it, it's a level of pain, so I have to either be okay with that pain, or I just have to move to a place of denial, and so I don't want to do that, and so I allow that pain, those emotions to come in, those thoughts when they happen, and I think about her, and I reflect on the moment and like, oh, there's a pink sunset or, you know, there's this. And I think about that and I allow it to come in. And oftentimes I will burst into tears in that moment. Um, if you knew me two years ago, I never cried. Like I didn't cry at, I hardly cried. Maybe like I had it scheduled like once every other year. Um, and I don't, I don't cry. I didn't cry before. Now I cry almost every day. In fact, we have joked about the fact that she was the crier before and I wasn't, and now it's completely reversed. And now we're watching commercials on the TV, and I'm the one. She's like, you're crying about this? You know, I'm like, I am. It's a really cute cat, you know? Like, I can't even believe I said that. So there's no such thing as a cute cat. Um, all right. Let me get back to the point. What I'm trying to say here is that I don't push it away. I allow it to come in, and then I feel it in that moment. I allow it to enter and to penetrate in my heart. And does it hurt? Yes. Does it come out in tears? Yes. But I'm also not pushing away the memory and the connection of my daughter at that point in time. But if I do that 24 hours a day, right? If I just allow it to come in and come in and come in, it's going to overwhelm me and I will freeze. I will not be able to move. And so I allow it to come in and then I breathe that pain out with the hope that I have to look forward to of seeing her again. And so it is a very breathe it in, breathe it out process for me. Sometimes that's a matter of um, 30 seconds. Sometimes that'll take 10 minutes. Um, it's probably even been an hour at times where I'll just find myself just tearful and for a period of time. And, but then I'll come back to breathing it out and taking the next step, keeping it moving. And so so that's what we did. You know, that's how we responded to what we never had hoped and hoped that nobody else has to ever experience in our world. Um, and 
right, wrong, or indifferent, that's how we went through, and, but it, some of it was helpful, and I hope maybe some of it was helpful for you guys as well. And thanks, babe, for coming up and um, doing this, even though I know you did not want to. Yeah, I didn't tell her until, like, um, recently, like, not even, like, earlier in this week. So I, it, was, or it was a little bit, like, a few days ago because I knew that if I told her, she would have a sick stomach doing that the whole time. So um, I appreciate you coming up, babe. All right, so that's uh, typical responses. That's how we responded. Now I want to look at God's word at how Paul responded because truly when I studied this week, I was blown away by what I figured out and what I learned and what was revealed to me in a way that like, oh my gosh, that makes total sense. And so I want to walk through and hopefully this will be helpful to see how God has orchestrated this through the guy named Paul. And so if you don't know who Paul is, Paul... Uh, is a guy who used to be called Saul. He didn't like Christians. He hated Christians. In fact, if you hate Christians and you're here, he hated them more because he killed them. Um, he went around and he would, uh, he would try to murder Christians because they were blasphemous in his, his eyes until one day where he was literally blown off his horse by Jesus and became a Christian. And he became a Christian and a follower of Christ even before there was a Bible um, because he helped write the Bible. Uh, he truly was the one who believed in the resurrection and believed in Christ. And so he became what I would consider to be the greatest evangelist that has ever walked this planet. He planted churches all over the place. And then, you know, literally next to Jesus, I think he's had the biggest impact for the gospel um, than any other individual that has ever existed is Paul. So he is a big deal. But Paul, even though he's amazing, uh, he knew pain. He knew pain. And what we know is that sometime after he became a Christian is that after his conversion, he was stricken with some sort of condition, some sort of physical ailment. And we don't really know what it was, but we know that it bothered him. We know that it was humiliating, it was debilitating, and it was painful, and that he wanted it to go away. And catch this, it was a hindrance to him doing the job that God called him to do. Did you catch that? God allowed this pain, this physical ailment to be a hindrance and he allowed it to be he called him to do something and then he gave him this hindrance for him to be able to do it or he allowed it to be the case and what his job was to share the gospel and he struggled to do so because of this physical ailment and so what we're going to do is we're going to talk about this and we're going to look at how um, Paul responded and first let's look at 2nd Corinthians 12 verses 7 through 10 and here's how he responded and here's how he describes what he was walking through. Paul says this, verse 7, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given. And we'll pause right there. In order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given. Now, to truly understand this, uh, we're going to have to look at the Greek, and I don't want to Greek you out or anything like that, but we have to because it makes a huge difference in the way that this text is read. The first phrase, in order to... It is actually one Greek word. It is one small Greek word that literally is saying that this is a purpose statement or what is following is a purpose statement. And Paul is telling us that there is a purpose to the pain of which I am going through. There is a purpose to this. In his case, it says right there, from becoming conceited. 
So Paul's problem was pride. That was what he struggled with. And so therefore, God gave him this thing, this ailment to help him from being conceited. And we'll talk about the different purposes behind pain at the end of our time. But for now, we'll leave it right there because the next word, the word given, is probably the most crucial root word in that whole entire text. Because this word, the Greek word for it, literally means given positive gift. It is a good gift. And so if you were to receive something on a birthday, they would say, this is, I'm giving you this on your birthday. It's a present. Or I'm giving you this on Christmas. It is a good, positive present. It is a special thing. It is a good thing. That's what the word means. It's a positive gift. And so what was this special gift that God gave Paul? I was given a thorn, a thorn in my flesh, all right? And then he describes it even worse as a messenger. He describes it as a messenger of Satan to torment me. Now, when I read that and I read the word thorn, I think to myself, now, Paul, you know, if I could talk to him, Paul, you, you, you got the wrong word here, man. I think you meant um, I was given this to be tortured. It's not a gift. I was given this to be punished because a thorn, spe- specifically meaning in that context, meant con- a constant, continual, irritating problem is what it was. And combine that with the word that follows, which is torment, which in the Greek literally means to beat one up or to strike with a fist. And so what Paul is saying is that God gave me this positive, good gift that is beating me up daily. That is what Paul is saying. He's got this good gift about getting beat up daily. Now, the next words in there, the messenger from Satan, there's some uncertainty about that. Translators have struggled on what that actually means. Some people actually believe that Satan was the one who literally gave this gift to Paul. Um, Others, like myself, believe it's like a figure of speech. So you would say things like, that hurt like the devil, which... I don't know anybody who really says that anymore. Um, my grandpa said that, to hurt like the devil, but that's what it means. A figure of speech is what I think it means. But we don't really know. And what we also don't know is this, is we don't know what the thorn was. So what is Paul? We know it's physical, but we don't know what the thorn was. Now, there's a lot of speculation. Some think, and there's some research on all of this, some think it was epilepsy. And we, obviously back then, they didn't know a whole lot about epilepsy. They thought maybe it's demon possession or something like that. But maybe while he's even giving these talks, he was going to a seizure or something of that nature. We don't know. Others think it could be depression, which if anybody had a reason to be depressed, it was Paul. Um, You have the amount of pain that man walked through. I mean, he literally was beaten three times. It says he was flogged um, or flogged three times. He was whipped five times like the Jewish tradition, 40 minus one. Jesus went through that once. Paul went through it five times. Paul was um, shipwrecked, okay, (laughs) hilariously, three times, all right? So apparently he was not a good sailor, um, but Paul was shipwrecked three times. One of those times, he actually was floating in the ocean for 24 hours. The Bible says one day and one night. 
as he was floating in the water. He was bitten by a snake. Um, he just, he was imprisoned. He eventually was killed in prison. Um, it's crazy. Um, so it could very well have been depression. It could have been migraines. Um, Bob Lee, he thinks that it was eye trouble. A lot of people believe that it could have been eye trouble. I don't know. He could have been a Patriots fan. Who knows? It could have been a total, any, any of those things. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm. All we know is this, is that it was humiliating, debilitating, it was painful, and he wanted it to go away. He wanted it to go away. So what did Paul do? How did he respond to this pain? And the good news is he responded in a way that many of us would respond when we're in, and we're in pain. And here's what he did, verse 8. He said, three times I pleaded, he asked, he appealed, he begged with the Lord to take it away from me. What Paul did is he prayed. He was in pain, so he prayed. Even non-Christians, as I said last week, may not believe in God, but when pain overtakes them, they take to prayer. And what Paul said is he said to God, I can't take it anymore. I can't go on. I can't do what you've called me to do. I want to do what you've called me to do. I want to fulfill your mission, but I can't. And so three times, three times he pleaded with God. Now, the theologians believe that that's not just three sentences. It's not just like, please take this away, God. Please take this away. And oh, by the way, could you please take this away? It wasn't like that. They consider it to be three seasons. Three seasons throughout Paul's life where he said God and he's earnestly thought and he went after God and said, please, will you take this away? Will you take this away? And so Paul prayed. That's how he, res that's how he responded first. Here's what's interesting that he did second. And I think this is where we make a lot of our mistakes because often we will pray. We will literally ask God, will you take me out of this situation? But step number two is where we have struggle, and that is that he listened. He took time to listen. Check this out. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, and then it says, but he said to me. And the only reason Paul knows what God said to him is because he listened. He took time to discern. Yes, sometimes God is quiet. Sometimes he's silent. Sometimes he chooses not to speak. But I would say more often than not, it is us who do not take the time to listen to what God is actually saying. We're good at asking. We're good at putting forth requests. But to actually listen to his response to take that time. It's difficult to discern God's voice, and we'll talk about that in time, but, it, but it, we don't take the time to listen. I was at a Rite Aid about three months ago, and um, uh, we stopped there to get me a Pepsi because I have a problem, and, um, and I was thirsty, and we literally stopped just to get me a Pepsi at a Rite Aid. And when we went in the store, my children and my wife stayed in the car because I'm going to run in and run out. And so I did. I ran in and I grabbed my Pepsi and I went up to the register and like, here's the deal. I just don't know what the thing is with Rite Aid, but nobody shops there. Um, uh, there's, I don't know how they stay in business because every time I go in there, the store is like basically empty and it literally was empty. It was like me and this clerk when we were there and she was, uh, she scanned my Pepsi and, um, and then just to make conversation, she asked me a question. She asked me, hey, I like your tattoo. Why did you get it? And I'm like, wow, all right, are you ready for this? You know, uh, <laughs> so I, I responded, you know, and when people ask, I'm not going to shy away, as you've learned. Um, so she asked, why did you get it? And I said, well, this is a magnolia, 
And I got it because my daughter's name was Magnolia, and, uh, and she died about a year ago. And I was waiting to listen. I'm looking at her. She's scanning my stuff, and she literally goes, oh, that is so great. That's wonderful. I love that. You know, I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> I mean, obviously, she was not listening. She asked a question. She wasn't listening. So I thought, I'll make her listen, right? I don't know. I I just, I didn't know if I wanted to make her feel bad in that moment or what the deal was. (laughs) But I literally explained. No, it was my daughter. She was three years old, and she died of cancer, right? And she goes, oh, man, that is so wonderful. That is great. I'm like, holy cow. I've never shopped there since. I'm just telling you that right now. But she asked a question, right? And she didn't really want an answer. She just asked it and didn't listen. I think we do the same with God. We ask questions. We say, God, will you help me with this? Will you take care of this? God, speak to me. And then we go off and do our thing, or we just zone out. And we don't take time to listen to God's response. And this is what Paul did that's different. He asked, he prayed, and then he listened. And so what did God say? Because he listened and he obviously had a response. Here's what God said to Paul. He said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness or in weakness. This is a very famous verse, a very famous verse. But it's also slightly confusing. And so the best way, I think, probably the best way to understand this verse is to actually interchange the two words because in this context, they really do mean the same thing. Listen to it like this. Paul, my power is sufficient for you, for my grace is made perfect in weakness. It makes a little bit more sense there. And what what God is doing is he's basically saying, Paul, my answer for you is no. My answer is, I know you're in pain. I know you're struggling. I know you're hurting. I know it's harmful. I know you want to do my will, but the answer, unfortunately, Paul, is no. It's no. And it's because some pain is permanent. And I'm going to leave this in you, Paul, and I'm going to leave this thorn there. And you can ask, and you can ask, and you can ask, but it's going to stay there. I have a reason for it, and you, Paul, you're going to do great things for me. You are going to change the world. You're going to write my words down for generations upon generations to believe and put their faith in me. But you know what, Paul? I'm not going to take the thorn out. My answer is no. And by the way, I love you. I love you. And I'm going to do great things through you. And I'm going to use you. And what I find so interesting about this passage, please hear me on this, is that some of you have been taught, this is the environment I grew up in as well, but some of us have been taught and some of us actually believe that the reason that our pain remains, the reason that we are still filled with hurt and it is not gone is because we just don't believe enough. We don't have enough faith. We haven't prayed enough. We haven't sought God enough. We don't trust God. We don't trust him enough. We don't do enough. And I want you to know that I think that is terrible theology. I don't believe that for a second. In fact, that is piss poor theology is what that is right there. To say you are not changing your circumstances because you don't believe enough. I had a guy I mean, we had lots of people respond to us with our situation with Maggie, but I had a guy who emailed me at one point in time, and he said that the reason 
that Maggie died was because I didn't believe enough. Now, it's a good thing that that man said that through the internet because I really, I would have hit him way, with way something heavier than a water noodle. I mean, I would have nailed that man because that, first off, it's just terrible to say that, number one. And number two, it's just not true. And here's how I know it's not true. is because Paul, okay? Think about this, Paul. A man who has more faith then all of us put together pleaded to God over and over again to take away this pain that was in his life. Why? To do God's work. And what did God say? He said, no. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. And it is. He gives us a promise in that. He says, our grace, my grace is sufficient for you. But he said no. And so some of you, you're thinking, oh my gosh, I've been told that the reason this pain is in my life is because I'm just not a good enough Christian. I'm just not faithful enough. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, and if you haven't seen a mustard seed, it's pretty small, then you have enough faith, okay? So don't beat yourself up on that one because Paul didn't beat himself up. In fact, what did Paul do next? This is amazing. Here's what he did. He embraced his pain. He embraced his pain. He faced it, he owned it, and he accepted it as a part of him. And it wasn't what defined him because Christ defined him, but it was a part of him now. Just like the pain that I have and my wife have and we carry is a part of us now. And look at what Paul did with it. In verse 9, here's what he said. He embraced it. He says, therefore, because, you know, because God said no, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, about my pain, so that, it's another purpose statement, here it is, Christ's power, his grace, may rest on me. What Paul is saying here is he's saying, I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to deny it. I'm not going to dodge it. I'm not going to disappear. I'm not going to run. I am going to embrace this pain so that God's grace, his power can rest in me. And when the pain comes, I can bounce it off. I'll take it in. I'll breathe it in. And I'll breathe it out as glory back to God, as worship. And it's crazy. And this is why we share our story as openly as we do. Is because I hope that in some ways, through what we've walked through, God can be glorified. I hope that with all my heart. And I hope that his power and his grace will rest on us as we take this journey. And I hope the same for you. I do. I pray that the pain that you walk through and then what you carry as you embrace it, may you glorify God in the process. And also may his grace rest strongly in you. Here's the last verse. Here's what Paul says. He says, that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, insults are pain, in hardship, pain, in persecution, pain, in difficulties, pain. For when I am weak, when I am buried in pain, then I am strong. To which we would say, well, that's not the American way. And which to Paul would say, and that is why, you are not experiencing grace in the exact area where you struggle the most. 
where the pain hurts the most. We have to embrace it. Paul prayed, he listened, he embraced his pain, and then here's the last thing he did. And this one, you very well may disagree with me on, and that's okay. But let me explain. He viewed his pain as a gift. Paul viewed his pain as a gift. See, Paul was given a thorn, and it was humiliating, debilitating, painful, but he called it a gift. Paul was crazy. Christians are crazy. Sometimes we're crazy. Did you know the disciples, like when they first got persecuted, right after Jesus ascended, they first got persecuted. First time they got beaten because of their faith. You know what they did? The Bible says they ran out of the jail and they rejoiced because they got to suffer like Christ suffered and they considered it an honor. That's nuts. That is nuts. There's a guy in the Bible named James. He's the brother of Jesus, and he says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds, right? That's nuts. That's crazy. And Paul considered his to be a gift. We have friends, all of us, where our friends would say, you know, I never would have walked that direction. I never would have gone through that path. I never would have chose that painful place. But now that I'm on the other side of it, now that I'm here, I would never change it. And they view their pain and what they walk through as a gift. Now, here's what I'll tell you about that. I'm not there. I'm honestly not there. I cannot bring myself to say that I think Maggie's death was a gift. And I don't know if on this planet I will ever get to that place where I could say Maggie's death was a gift. But I know one day I will. I don't know if it'll be a thousand years into heaven or maybe literally the first moment when I will see all and understand the perspective and then I'll look back and go, yeah, God, that was a gift. But I'm not there yet. I am not there yet. The Bible says this. It says, he, being Jesus, will wipe away every tear, because I have a lot of them now. From their eyes, from our eyes, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or, and are you ready for it? No more pain. No more pain. I don't know how, but somehow Paul got to that point in his lifetime on this planet, on this side of eternity. I don't know how he did it, but I think that is awesome. I think that's amazing that he could view it like that. But I also think that it, I would be overstepping my bounds as a pastor and a communicator if I said you must accept your pain as a gift from God. I feel like I'd be overstepping my bounds because I haven't even been able to fully walk that path. And that is a very difficult path, but somehow Paul was able to do it. But I would say this at the same time as I say it's not a requirement. I would say eventually for those who believe in Christ, we will see our pain as a gift. This maybe not right now, but maybe how beautiful would it be as if in this lifetime, like Paul, we could learn to accept our pain as God allowing it and a gift to
to glorify him back through it, no matter what that pain is. That would be a beautiful thing. Here's the bottom line. Personally, I believe that every pain has a purpose. There is purpose to our pain. And unfortunately, we may not have the privilege, and that is a terrible cop-out answer for a pastor. We may not have the answer on this side of eternity, but the reason you get that answer is because it's true. We may not truly know on this side of eternity what the purpose was in our pain. Okay? But there are purposes, and we see them. And maybe God is allowing you to walk through what you walk through and go through what the pain that you have is because he's trying to get your attention. In some way, he's allowing this pain to wake you up, to lift your head, to look to him, to draw him, to draw you closer to him. And maybe that's why he's allowing this pain to be in your world. And so if that's you, pay attention, lift up and say, God, what do you want? How can I respond to you and walk towards him? Choose to trust him. Choose to move towards him in this. Maybe God is allowing pain to happen in your life because he's trying to shape you into the person that he wants you to be. For me as an example, and if you knew me beforehand, there's pre-Maggie and then there's post-Maggie in our world. I wasn't always the nicest person in the world. I'm still not the nicest person in the world. But I definitely have got a lot softer heart than I had, and I feel like I'm a better man because of what I've walked through. I'm a better husband, and I'm a better father. Would I take it back? Absolutely. Would I switch it around? Uh-huh. I'd rather learn it in a different way. That's why I'm not ready to view it as a gift just at this point. Some of you, maybe it's God wants to move you where he wants you to go. Maybe you're in a place and he's allowing this pain to push you into a direction where you're not yet. I can tell you this, I never would have planted this church without what we walked through, right? Would not have happened. It would have never been the case. But I don't care where this church goes or if it grows or whatever success it ends up finding or however, whatever, I, I still would trade it all back right now. But God sometimes allows pains to push forward and we just have to be obedient to what he's saying here. Here's one I know for sure. Is God allows pain so that we can help other people, that we can comfort them for what they're going through. Because when we walk through pain, your pain is different than my pain. My pain's different than your pain. Whatever it is, God has uniquely shaped you. And when you run into somebody who has your same pain, is there not just this kinship? Is there, and especially if they're in the middle of that pain and you've already walked through it. And you walk up and you could talk to them because you've been down that road. And you're automatically an encouragement to them because they look at you and you go, you know what? They walked through that and they still survived and they're okay. You know, that's amazing. That is amazing. You have a kinship there. I don't know if you guys know, um, and this is not in my notes. I should always stick with my notes, but um, Tom. You guys know Tom Regan? He was at North Shore. He's a pastor at Imprint. Um, Tom, about a year ago, literally the day after Maggie's death, he got brain cancer. And he dropped on the stage that he was leading worship in. And they rushed him to the hospital, and he has had many surgeries since, but he's a pastor literally right down the street. Um, and I didn't know Tom beforehand, um, and we heard about each other's story. And then we went to a meeting, like this network meeting for pastors, and 
um, I realized, oh my gosh, that's Tom sitting across the way. And I know him, and I couldn't wait for the meeting to get done so I could go talk to him. And he apparently was thinking the same thing because when the meeting ended, immediately we were the first two to stand up and we immediately walked towards the other person. And we didn't say anything. We didn't even introduce each other. We just hugged and cried right there in front of all the other pastors because he knew what pain was like in that way and I knew what pain was like in that way and we had this kinship. And you know what was crazy? Literally, last week, both Tom and I got to go pray for a little girl who had cancer or who had, a, who had a tumor in her brain and she was going into brain surgery the next day. And she, when I walked in there, I saw the parents and I knew what the parents were walking through. And when he walked in there, he saw her and he knew what she was walking through. And we were able to help in a way and pray for them in a way that we could never have prayed for them before. And God orchestrated our pain so that we could help others. She did not end up having cancer, and the, uh, the tumor was benign, and she was fine. But it was that moment where I could see the fear in the parent's face, and she had fear in her face, and we were able to at least connect on that level. And in some small way, I'll tell you what, it helps us too. It helps the person who is in pain. And so pain is a promise, you guys. Some pain is permanent, but I'm telling you, no pain is pointless. There is a purpose to our pain. We may not know it on this side of eternity, but there is a purpose to our pain. Let's pray.